Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, where we talk about integrative symptom management and physician well-being, because every physician deserves to have satisfying work, and every patient deserves an effective and joyful physician. Let's get started. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, and today we're going to talk about the nocebo response. The nocebo response being the opposite of the placebo response. The placebo response is this really cool, when you think about it, idea that kind of across the board, 30% of the time, people get better, even if you give them nothing, as long as they expect that they'll get better. So it's the thing we're always trying to control for when we're doing research is this idea that 30% of the time, they may get better just from nothing. The nocebo response is the unintended negative suggestion that leads a patient to a negative expectation. So you say, you know, this drug uh, really likely to cause nausea, and then the person is more likely to feel nauseous. So I'm going to tell you a story. When my younger daughter had a head injury, she fell off a horse onto her head. She had really bad, excruciating neck pain for many, many, many months, a long time. And we went to this doctor who determined that it was from her neck. And he had some treatment suggestions, including steroids, injections, and then possibly surgery. So he's giving her informed consent for all of the things that are happening. She's 12. And he says, well, we're, we're going to try steroids. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try injections. And if that doesn't work, then we'll send you for this surgery for occipital nerve release. And if that doesn't work, then you'll probably have pain for life. And the top of my head almost blew off because he just implanted that in her head, this 12-year-old who's struggling with, with this terrible pain that's made her have to leave school and really you know, put her in a very bad spot. He just put in her head that she could have pain for life. Now, is it true? Sure. But is it helpful in that context? Absolutely not. He wasn't saying you know, here's the side effect of this treatment that I have to tell you about. That's part of informed consent. Of course, he would have to do that. There was no benefit at that point in telling her that she could have pain for life. No benefit. But absolutely, he stimulated the nocebo response. And as the mama bear, I said, well, 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 you know, but that's unlikely, right? She's very likely, I'm trying to stimulate the placebo response. She's very likely to have benefit from either the steroids, the injection or the surgery, right? And he said, well, I, I can't say that. I don't know. Maybe. So I tried two or three times to get him to take it back and use the placebo response instead and say, hey, we have these great treatments and many people get better from these treatments. And why wouldn't you be one of those two? That's what I wanted him to say. So I became very interested in the nocebo response after that very powerful experience. Uh, she did get better, by the way. She went all the way to surgery, but she did get better. Okay, so the nocebo response is the negative equivalent of the placebo response. And it's important to know that we can communicate this inadvertently, because of course, we never would do this on purpose. We can communicate and generate this nocebo response both verbally and non-verbally. Our words, we'll talk about in a minute how careful we should be about our words and what words we might say or not say, but also pay attention to your your non-verbals, your vibe. What is your face saying? What is your posture saying when you're communicating about a potential treatment or outcome with a patient? Make sure that you're not inadvertently stimulating the nocebo response by a kind of furrowing of your brow or rolling of your eyes or hunching of your shoulders. 
Okay, so what are some examples that we might inadvertently do, ways that we might inadvertently stimulate the nocebo response? How about this one? I'm sure you've heard this from patients who are constantly saying that they've heard this from other doctors. Oh, that doctor said that my knee is bone on bone, my ankle, my shoulder, bone on bone. That statement, whether or not it's true, generates a sense of threat and angst and alarm. It generates an unnecessary amount of alarm. Hopefully we will never say something like that, bone on bone. Hopefully we will never say something like, oh, your MRI was one of the worst I've ever seen. People say that to patients. Please don't say that to patients. That stimulates the nocebo response. It stimulates this sense of alarm, which makes them more likely to have unpleasant symptoms, less likely to get better from the symptoms that maybe we're trying to treat. We certainly do not want to volunteer for no particular good reason. You could have pain for life. Whether or not that may be true, if it turns out to be true, then we will help the person in the future with their ongoing pain. But if we're trying to make someone's pain or nausea or fatigue or constipation better, let's get the juice that we can out of the placebo response and not unnecessarily generate alarm and negative expectation. Another place that this is common, probably more common, is the word unfortunately. So unfortunately generates a sense of distress and alarm. And you have to give the patient the facts, but increasing the amount of alarm about the facts doesn't get anybody any extra benefit. So check in with your own self about that word. And if there is a way that you can say, this is what we found on your CT scan and this is the plan, do you have any questions? Rather than, well, unfortunately, this is what we found. It may seem subtle, but it's significant in terms of how the patient perceives it and how much alarm it generates. Sometimes we may do it inadvertently by using jargon, like we're wiring you up now, say we're connecting them to a monitor. That may be very scary for a person. Or we may say to somebody, well, you're a high-risk patient, you know. Now, I totally understand and and. One of the things we'll talk about in a second is informed consent. We definitely need to be clear and honest when we are giving informed consent. But just be aware that sometimes these things come out of our mouth when they don't have a benefit, like informed consent. And if they don't have a clear benefit, they only increase the person's distress and increase the nocebo response, meaning the chance that they're going to have ongoing pain or a side effect from a treatment or a symptom that is difficult to manage. So in a casual sense, well, you know, you are a high-risk patient, don't say that. We don't need to say that. We only want to say that when we're trying to get consent for a procedure. We can say, well, because of X, Y, and Z, the risk of cardiac event would be higher for you. Here's the pluses for this procedure. Here's the risks of this procedure. Let's talk about what you want to do. But that's very different than saying, well, you know, you are a high-risk patient, so there's, there's no need to do that. So we can be clear in our informed consent, but be very thoughtful of when we're outside of that context, using these alarm-generating kinds of language. Even this will hurt. We should try not to say that this will hurt. 
there's an interesting study that looked at people with chronic back pain, and they were doing a leg flexion test. They told half the people that this test could increase their pain, and they told half the people that the test would have no impact on pain. And the people who got the negative information had more pain. Similarly, there was a study that looked at using a local anesthetic before doing an epidural for women who were delivering babies, and they told half the people, we're going to give you a local anesthetic that will numb the area so it'll be more comfortable for you for the procedure, and then they told the other half of people, you're going to feel a big bee sting, and the people who were told they were going to have a big bee sting reported more pain, and it was specifically a 5 out of 11 of pain versus a 3 out of 11 on pain on a zero to 11 rating scale. So there's a lot of evidence that when we tell people you're going to have pain, they're more likely to have pain. This comes up in a way that's more complicated, which is the whole idea of pain score. So we take a person who's feeling fine and then we say, okay, now tell me your pain score, zero to 10. And then they have to think about their pain. And as soon as they think about their pain, they're focusing on their pain and their pain goes up. So while I recognize that we do occasionally have to ask people what is their pain score, we should be aware that just that question elicits the nocebo response. And sometimes people are using now, what's your comfort score? So if you're trying to get a sense of is something working and their comfort score was two and now it's five, that's better. But what that puts into their head is comfort rather than pain. So as I mentioned before, of course, for informed consent, we're not going to be dishonest with people, we're going to tell them what could happen. But even when we're doing informed consent, we should be thoughtful about how we communicate and try to be balanced. So we can say, here are the potential benefits, here are the potential risks. And we, if we want to use statistics, we can say the risk of this bad thing is this percent. But we want to be careful not to bring this inflammatory alarmist language. So we want to give facts, but without alarmist inflammatory language. And if we're choosing a treatment for somebody, we can encourage the idea that it might work. So we definitely are going to tell them about the potential risk and find out, do they want to do it? So if we say, here are the risks that could happen from this thing, do you want to do it? Yes, I do. Okay, now they've got, they've had the risk, they made their assessment, they've chosen to do it. At this point, now we want to try to avoid the nocebo response. We want to try actually to enhance the placebo response if we can. So we could say something like, of course, I can't guarantee that this is going to take away all of your pain, but since it does work for some people, or if it's true, it does work for many people, I don't see why it couldn't work for you. Or I believe that it could work for you. Or if this is true, I really believe it is likely to work for you. So we're not being dishonest, we're telling people the risks, but then we are generating the placebo response and avoiding the nocebo response the best that we can. Okay, so in summary, the first thing is just to notice your language. Start to notice, do you have habitual alarmist or negative language that just has become part of your patient counseling? And if you do, try to tone that down. Try to get rid of the unfortunately's. Try not to say, oh my goodness, I looked at your MRI and I was really shocked at how bad it was. Don't say things like that. So the first thing though is to notice. And what you're going to try to do is avoid unnecessarily alarming language. So when you know you're about to go tell somebody something tough or 
you're about to discuss a procedure with them. Be thoughtful, run over it in your head. How can I explain this being truthful, but without adding unnecessarily alarming language? Number three is make space for a positive outcome. Just make space. You're not promising. Sometimes we get so paranoid about not promising a positive outcome that we can't guarantee that we're afraid to make space for it. But make space for a positive outcome. Like, no guarantees, of course, but people do benefit from this treatment, so why not you? It has worked for other people. Let's assume it will probably work for you too. So if you're feeling afraid, yeah, but what about informed consent? Remember, you're doing informed consent first. Once they choose something, though, then feel free to make all kinds of space for a positive outcome so that you get all the benefit, all the juice from the placebo response, and you avoid the nocebo response. Okay? Try it. All right, so one more time, three things. You're gonna notice your language. That's the first thing is notice because you probably have all these habitual counseling phrases that you use. Just notice them as they're coming out of your mouth. Avoid unnecessarily alarming language. And if you need to practice it for something you're gonna tell a patient, practice in advance. And the third is to make space for a positive outcome with statements like, hey, you know, this has worked for other people. Let's assume that it's probably going to help you too. Or I don't see why it couldn't work for you too. And here's a little tip for all of us in terms of well-being. We use this nocebo response on ourselves too all the time. Like, oh my gosh, that meeting is going to be so boring. Or I am, I'm never going to get through all of these charts. Or I'm going to be so stressed out this weekend because I have blah, blah thing to do. As part of this idea of avoiding inflammatory, unnecessarily negative, unnecessarily alarming language, let's try it for ourselves too and make space for a positive outcome. Like, I do have a lot to do this weekend, but I could probably find some time to have a little fun for myself. Or I don't know anybody at this meeting but maybe I'll meet somebody interesting. Maybe I'll make a new friend, right? So just be aware of your own instinctive, alarming, negative language and see if you can turn it around to make space for a positive outcome because it's not only good for our patients, it's good for us too. Okay, thank you so much. I'm so glad you listen. I would love to spread the word about this podcast. So I'd love it if you would share with a colleague who you think might be interested. And I'm so glad you keep coming back. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next week. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the Integrative Palliative Institute, dedicated to whole person care for people with serious illness using all the tools that work. If you've always thought that there was a better way to practice medicine, you're right. And you have found your people. So help spread the word. Send this episode to a friend or colleague, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and reach out anytime and come learn with me. You can find more information and training programs at integrativepalliative.com.